Red River podcast uh, back in the quarantine. We're still isolating, doing nothing. Um, today, um, I get to talk to a, an author, someone who actually writes, a music journalist, someone who wrote a book, which isn't something we get to do very often. So today, uh, what's up, Mike Hennenberger? Hey, man. Thanks for having me. How did you come across us? I know that we have a mutual friend in, in Dana, does big picture media, and uh, you told me about your book. So um, how did that come about? Yeah, so I um, I think I found you because when I first reached out to you, it was about your like past podcast. And I think I was just um, searching for, you know, music podcasts or pop culture podcasts or kind of anything that my my book might fit into, um, just kind of working on promoting it and getting it out there like. I mean, I come from a DIY punk background, so Hell yeah. <laughs> even though like hired like one of the best PR companies in music right now, like I still can't help myself. Like I'm still going to like network and meet people and like talk to people about what's going on. And so, yeah, like I think that's just how it happened. Like I, I came across your podcast and I'm a huge pop culture nerd, so I've been listening and yeah, yeah. Um, yeah man. So I reached out. All right, cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm the same way. Like, I I don't like to wait for things, um, even if someone's helping. Like, I, I just you know, if 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 there's an avenue I can get to, I'm I'm gonna use it. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, the the name of the book that you we were talking about is Rock Bottom at the Renaissance, an emo kid's journey through falling in and out of love in and with New York City. Um, and the cover here, you have the headphones, you have some pills, some booze, and a typewriter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I really want to talk about this book because um, a lot of times I, I've heard you mention on, on your own podcast and other people's podcasts that um, everything is a soundtrack. And I, I find that really relatable because my day... Like, I'm always thinking of a song in my head to go with whatever scenario. So I, I believe you said the same thing, and uh, that's super relatable to me. That's great, because I meet people who don't get that, and it's so weird to me, because I feel like we all grow up with music, you know? Like, more than anything else. Like, I mean, the, like, foundations of pop culture are like TV, movies, and music. And I think more than TV and movies, everybody is exposed to music more than those other things. So like, I mean, but I guess you have to be like a big nerd about it and get dive, really dive into it to kind of have that mindset where you just associate songs with whatever's going on. So if there's, I mean, anything that you come across in your day makes you think of a song, you know, and that's that's just how my brain works. and. So like in this book, every chapter of the book is named after a song. Um, and that song kind of plays this, plays the role of a soundtrack in the book where like, if you're reading the book, the lyrics pop up throughout um, like 
mixed in between paragraphs and stuff like like if it was the soundtrack of a movie and the song would swell up that's where the lyrics pop up in the book um and that's just because that's how that's the way that i think i mean i didn't set out to write this book in that format but when you read the book the first chapter um i'm listening to jimmy world's 23 and that's just how that song made its way into that chapter and then there's another chapter about like two-door cinema club and it starts at a two-door cinema club concert so it's just like associate music with everything and then i associate everything with music so it's like if i'm telling a story about something that happened at a Tudor Cinema Club concert. I'm not going to leave the music out of it. You know, All I right. can't just tell the story so, without the music. And I, I know, I know you're a married guy, and um, I have a girlfriend as well. Yeah. And sometimes for me, um, my girlfriend definitely, she, you know, she's a big music fan too. But sometimes, you know, she definitely is like, "Man, you're such a geek about certain things." Is she the same as you, or does she look at you as kind of like, you know, like funny because of how uh, much you relate to music to everything? Oh man, no, I definitely get, I definitely get my balls busted about how like sentimental I am. Um, this is, this is weird because I'm, I'm in my home office and my wife is on the, in the living room on the other side of the door. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know how much she, how much she can hear me, but, uh, <laughs> um, she heard it. But, all. uh, yeah, no, it's just true. She says so she, um, no, she loves all the same kind of music that I do, which is, awesome and one of the things that kind of drew us together in the first place but yeah so she likes some of that but it's it's definitely there's definitely a different like way that i look at it and i think part of it is that like she's from long island so she like grew up like going to taking back sunday and brand new shows at like vfws and like churches and stuff like like uh church basements or whatever um so she she grew up having that you know and i grew up in south texas where i didn't have a scene I had to drive four hours for shows. Holy um, shit! How did? So, yeah, I, I'm just just out of curiosity because I I love the the fact that you you came from a small town in Texas. Um, and, yeah, and and now you live like all the way in New York. But like, just to to further getting into whatever you were about to bring up, like, what was it like um, to grow up in such a small town where you said you had to drive four hours just for music? Yeah, man, I grew up in a population 25,000 which is like tiny but but it's like 25,000 with a naval base and a college so like a good chunk of the town isn't people from that town you know they're just passing through for the navy or for college there was corpus christi texas which is like 45 minutes away and there was a like decent punk scene there but the touring bands didn't go there. Touring bands went to San Antonio, which was two hours away sometimes, but mostly they'd go to Austin, which was four hours away or Dallas. But even back then, like, I mean, I'm 30, I'll be 38 in a couple of months. So we're talking about late nineties, early two thousands, late nineties was like pretty internet did, really for, for did, me. Did you get to watch at the drive-in at their height? No, man, I didn't see at the drive-in until they reunited oh, wow. at Coachella in 2012. And I went specifically for that. Wow. So, yeah. But but here's the thing is at the drive-in, 
they're from El Paso and El Paso is 12 hours away from oh, my hometown. Oh, Jesus. That explains. Yeah. It. Okay. Yeah. So that's like, when you're talking New York city, like what's 12 hours away, Georgia, uh, yeah, like California, like, basically. Yeah, no, yeah. Like I, when I moved to LA in my twenties, uh, El Paso, Texas was the halfway point to Los Angeles from my hometown. Yeah. Like you're still in Texas. So like, I didn't like, had to drive in wasn't like a local band for me. Um, no, but, that, uh, yeah, great point. Great point to me. Like, you know, yeah, um, you say Texas and, and to me, I'm like, oh, it's about 12 miles probably, you know? Yeah, no, man, it's crazy. <laughs> but, but, and we used to drive to Dallas like eight hours away. Cause I mean, back then, man, in the late nineties, you know, things weren't as connected as they are now. So I think it must've been harder for bands to like route tours too. What were some, so of, the, like, what were some of the bands that, that you were keeping up with in that area that would go through or that you would drive, you know, like what were some, yeah. of, some of the memorable shows in at that time? Well, I'll never forget. And I'm coming up on the anniversary, like August 16th, my first concert ever that I went to when I was 13 years old. Um, my, like all my skater friends were going to the show in Corpus Christi, like 45 minutes away. And it was Blink-182. Okay. Um, in 1996, Cheshire Cat was out. They weren't on the radio yet. It was a $5 show at a 200 cap all ages venue. And that was the first concert I ever went to by choice because um, my, like we had a little skater and rollerblader community in my hometown, which is like, a thing that'll only happen in like a home in like a small town because skaters and rollerbladers are supposed to want to kill each other. Um, but yeah, I mean, we all would like skate every like Tuesday. I think it's Tuesday nights. We would bring out all our rails and ramps in this big parking lot and skate and people would pass around mixtapes of like punk rock. And that's how like, you know, there'd be like college kids there who would drive out to shows or drive out to the city and they would put mixtapes together of punk bands and ska bands. And that's how I found it. Um, and this one tape was going around that had um, Ben Balls by Blink-182 on it. So when I heard they were going to be in Corpus, I asked my mom and my mom drove me and waited in the parking lot. Wow. Um, while me, the, while me and my brother. Nice. Waited in the parking lot. That's awesome, mom. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is very cool. And then, I mean, she was, I mean, she was a single mother and like probably just happy that we weren't doing drugs and like getting arrested and shit. So like she would drive me and my skater friends, like we had a van and she would just load us all up, drive us to San Antonio. Like the, the second show I ever saw was MXPX, like same time, 96, 13 years old, drove up to San Antonio. My mom drove us to San Antonio and it was like a tooth and nail tour and it was NXPX headlining. Um, so yeah, at that point I was into like NXPX. Did you, did you know, uh, did you know what you wanted to do with your life at that? Like when you come from a small town, like I don't really know. So I'm just like wondering like, what is everyone's like, like, you know, you're, you're hanging around. Does everyone just expect to just kind of like kick back and stay there your whole life? Or did you know that you wanted to get out of Corpus and, and write or like do whatever uh, involving music? I mean, this is this is like kind of a cool thing I'm realizing right now that I, I feel like I might not have been that concerned back then. Actually, now that I'm I'm talking about it, I definitely wanted to be a pro skater when I was 
13 and just like skateboarding that was all i was doing with my friends i was never good yeah me too I was, yeah i was like that's like the the most like ridiculous dream i've had because i've <laughs> i like it's like i can dream of writing tv shows and movies because i'm i mean i believe i'm good at it i'm good at writing but like i know and there was never a point where i ever thought i was good at skateboarding but there was still a point i thought i was going to be a professional skateboarder so <laughs> I, I was do, I was doing I, the same thing. I was I would watch like um you know go through like Thrasher magazine, check out the music section, see what bands they mentioned. Um, yeah, get my deck. Um, all my friends out here would be doing the same thing. My my shins are probably still lumped up from like thirty years ago. Oh yeah, dude, I'm sure I still have like scabs on my knees from twenty <laughs> years ago. Um, but yeah, no, I remember like telling girlfriends that I was going to be a, a professional skateboarder. That's a good. And angle. I was never. I was never good, man. I was never good enough to say that. It's so weird. I'm just realizing that now. But uh, I think I just always had an idea that I wanted to do something that wasn't corporate, you know, or that wasn't like, uh, it's just, I just, I think I knew that early in life that I was not cut out for just like a normal job. But we're talking about when I was 13. And then when I was 14, I started my first band. Okay. And then once I started playing music, I had the same drive that I have now with this self-published book, like that DIY punk punk drive that you learn from going to shows and like being part of that community. And I started booking my band. We started playing in Dallas, eight hours away, Houston, four hours away. Like we started getting around and the longer we played, the better we got. And like, I went on my first tour when I was 17 years old and I booked that tour myself. At that point, I was sure that that was going to work out. You know, I was sure I was just going to play music for the rest of my life. Do you, do you think that it, that's something that you looked at um, coming from such a small town that you felt like maybe like, hey, this is my ticket out of here or, or a way to travel, just check different things out? I think that's exactly what it is. I think that everything I ever thought of when I was a teenager and into my 20s and now was I need a ticket out of here, you know, and like corporate life was didn't look like that to me, um, which, it, you know, it is it's it's just as much of a ticket out of there as anything else. Like, I just didn't know that then, you know, um, and I'm glad because maybe I would have done that. But yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to piece your your your, your trip you know, because uh, I've heard you say um, New York City is the best city ever. Um, and, and that's always like a, an interesting thing coming from someone that didn't like necessarily was born here. So I like to hear that. That's cool. I like because I feel the same way. But a lot of times I'm like, oh, maybe just because I live here. That's my perspective. Um, so like I, I know you went from there and, and somewhere along the way you went into the service, didn't you? Right. Yeah, I um I joined the army when I was 25. What what made you want to do that? Oh, <laughs> complete, complete, like, hopelessness and just loss of direction or any idea of who I was. Like, I did it because I had gotten out of a, a long relationship. I had, I had just lived in LA for a couple of years. I lived in Nashville for a little while. And then I ended up back in my hometown and I just saw myself as like a failure. Like I moved to LA to, to write and I was working at a, a small indie label in Nashville for a little while. And those are all things I really wanted to do with my life. And then I just ended up back home because like 
I wasn't a very smart adult as far as like being responsible. And so I ended up back in Corpus where I never wanted to be back. And I had no direction. I had no, like, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And so I felt like joining the army would kind of force me to get disciplined and, you know, make better decisions. But I joined us, I joined as a photographer, like that's a job in the army. You can be a a combat photographer, a combat videographer. And that's what I joined as. Okay. um, That's interesting. Because I, because I also wanted to like, I felt like going to war would give me stories to write when I came back and give me this experience that like was what I needed to be a successful writer afterwards, you know? So there was a little bit of like thought to it, but also I was just, I was in a really like desperate time in my, in my life of not really knowing what I was doing. You're, you're, and, uh, you're, you're someone who, you know, from, from what little I know, you know, I, I try to follow, um, you're, you're a gambler. Like you definitely are someone that doesn't like to stay. Like, I feel like you, you go for things and for better or for worse. Um, and you do them. And, uh, well, I, I used to be, and then I joined the army and it was one of the worst experiences I've ever had in my life. And the, the lesson I took when I, I joined to get all these, all these valuable lessons from it. And the lesson I took from it was stop doing things spontaneously. <laughs> like, like think this shit out before you actually do it, because you just jumped into the fucking army and everybody who knows you told you that's a bad idea and you did it anyway. And it fucked you up in the head and it was just not, yeah, it's definitely like the worst experience I've had. And so that's like, I came out of there with a very like solid idea of don't ever do anything spontaneously again. Put a little thought into it at least. So That's worked out. I didn't know that that happened after um, L.A. and Nashville because you said you went yeah. to L.A. for writing. Um, so you went to L.A. first, right? Yeah, when I was 22 to 24, I was in L.A. So, you know, I, I love the journey. So let take me on the journey. Take me to L.A., how you got there, why you got there, uh, fill me in. So, okay. So I'll go back to my, my playing in bands. I played in bands till I was, uh, like 21, um, or 22. And then I went back to college for a minute for two years. Um, and when I was in college, I was a history and political science major. I became the president of college Democrats. (laughs) Um, and this is during the, Bush versus Kerry election, which was my first election. I actually turned 18 days after Bush's first election. Um, But anyway, I got super invested in the Bush Kerry election and put all of my fucking energy into it. I I booked like touring bands to play at my college. I made a political film festival and all this shit. And then John Kerry lost and I felt fucking crushed. And so I dropped out of college um, and moved to L.A. because I was just like, I turns out I don't want to be part of I don't want to be politically involved in this world. I want to go write worlds into the way that I want the world to be. Okay. And so that's what led me to L.A. And so I was there for two years, you know, just kind of writing my own stuff. Nothing ever really got produced, but it was a really I mean, it's it was a great time for me to like 
meet different people, learn things. I worked on a lot of movie sets in different ways. And so it made me, the mu- movie it, it showed me that that's no, go ahead. Keep going. Sorry. So it showed me that like, so I did a lot of like background extra work, but a lot of also some PA work. And, um, it's so like, it showed me that that world was not too far to reach, you know, if you're from anywhere other than LA and New York, you probably feel that like movies and TV are so like, they're these magical things that like, how could you possibly be involved in it? So moving to LA kind of showed me that it's really not that difficult to, to get into it. Um, And that's kind of what gave me a little more motivation to keep believing in it. Did you want Um, to, so were you into like uh, screenplays or like, yeah, like stuff like that? Is that what you wanted to do or just, yeah. So before I moved to LA, I wrote like a, I wrote a short film. Um, and then when I lived in LA, I wrote uh, me and a, a guy I met out there who's was like my best friend out there and my writing partner. We wrote a sitcom and that we like wrote the pilot of, and then we wrote like six episodes of it. And this is in the time of like always sunny in Philadelphia, just launching. And so like every young writer just thought like, Oh, well, these guys just made something on their own. And now they have a show on FX we can do that too, you know? So we were writing TV shows and we wrote this sitcom. It's, I mean, still pretty good in my opinion and Uh, I'd love to make it eventually. Yeah. I mean, is is that something, could you give me like a, just a quick synopsis? It's about, it was about us kind of about like, we were trying to, uh, he really wanted to be an actor and he's, he's a good comedian. I moved out there thinking I wanted to be an actor, but quickly realizing I didn't. And I, I just wanted to write. But so it was about these two guys who are just trying to be actors so they can get laid. So every episode is just them coming up with new schemes to get laid, (laughs) which would like (laughs) probably have us canceled in numerous different ways. Now that canceled means something different today. Um, There's definitely a lot in those scripts that we wrote 15 years ago. I, 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 Um, I think that's a funny premise that would have to be different that would not make it on tv today (laughs) yeah no it's it's really funny like we were i mean we were both pretty pretty smart about things and and we both like clever and funny uh clever and smart comedy so yeah i mean i think it's still good and then i wrote i wrote myself i wrote a a pilot for a one-hour drama um that's about this musician who's like um, and we're talking like 15 years ago. So it, it, he's like the, one of the biggest the singer and guitarist of one of the biggest bands ever. And like at the beginning of the episode, his mom dies, um, back in Texas and he has to go home and he has this like 16 year old little sister that he's living this like sex, drugs and rock and roll life. But now he's got to like raise his little sister. And so there's a lot more to it than that. And it's, nah, yeah. I mean, I, I love, I like... feel good about that, but. Yeah, that's that's any, anything to do like if I wrote, obviously, that would be the same thing. Super relatable stuff because we're both into music. We're both musicians. Um, I just watched the movie called The Incoherence. Have you seen that? Yeah. So it just came out last year or maybe this year. I, I got to look and it's like self produced. I, I, like all these guys are just kind of like, you know, they got together and made this movie. So um, it's about um, a guy who has like an office space type life and uh, decides that he wants to get his indie rock band from uh, Brooklyn uh, back into playing. So he reaches out to all his, like, 
you know, 45 year old ex band members. Nice. Um, so basically, the, the the guitar player, no, the singer broke up the band in '95 um, when they were just about to get big. They opened up for a yeah. Sebado at Knitting Factory. And uh, <laughs> it shows them all now in like their like mid 40s. And uh, he's, I, it's such a cool concept. And uh, I couldn't recommend it more. The Incoherence. Yeah. Where did you watch it? I just rented it on YouTube. My cousin, who actually, okay. coincidentally, j he just moved to, um, fuck, I don't even remember where in Texas, but uh, he moved out to Texas, and he texted me. He's like, oh, you got to check out this movie called The Incoherence. Yeah, so. cool. I, I will check it out. Um, yeah, no, man, like, I, I've, I, uh, so, like, the same thing kind of happened to me. Like, I was the singer of both of my bands, and I did all the, like, management stuff, the booking stuff when we broke up, when those bands broke up, it was someone else's decision. And that was so like, that was the big, like I, I mentioned it in my book about like my first band. Um, it was a Christian ska band actually. Um, and uh, we played for five years. We toured three times. Um, and we would play like, as, as we played, you know, later in the years, like I got better at writing lyrics. We weren't like super Jesus-y we would play like secular, like regular clubs with regular bands. That's, like we weren't that's just interesting. a church so you, band. You were that, you were big into religion? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Like as cliche as it is, it was more of like a spiritual thing than a religion thing. Yeah, man, um, right. be, um, because like I found it on my own. Like I wasn't, I wasn't raised in a religious household or a spiritual or Christian household. I just like kind of, came to it because my friends went to church they invited me to church i went myself and i found something that was what i needed at that time you know yeah um and i still i still believe in it you know 100 percent. whereas like i don't like live i don't necessarily like follow all the rules or anything but um and i like don't subscribe to i mean i don't when I say that, I don't mean I believe in the Bible literally 100%, but I still believe in what I came to believe back then, you know? Yeah, it's, um, it's something that's, uh, yeah, like you you got your own thing with it. And uh, I, yeah. I, to me, I'm like, you know, whatever whatever makes your day better uh, is usually what I'm a fan of, you know? I know, man. Like, that's the same thing. Like, I have, I have friends who, uh, one friend in particular who um, is super atheist in, like, she's you know, one of those smart atheists who can like discuss things and, you know, argue her points and stuff. And she's like a recovering addict. Um, and there are still points where she'll like post on Facebook. I mean, it's, it's been a while, but there were points where she like, posts on Facebook about like the, the misery in her life with like her kids that, sh that she couldn't like have custody of and all these like issues. And like, she was definitely struggling in life. And I told her, like, we were close enough friends for me to tell her this, that, like, hey, why not go to church? You know, if nothing's working for you and if you feel lost and you've never tried that thing, even if it's fake, even if it's not real at all, like, the, the feeling you get from drugs is a temporary thing that's not permanent. So why not try a fake religion? And maybe you find that same fix in it. Like, who cares if it's real or not? Like, you're obviously, you obviously need something and you refuse to try that. Like, happiness, why? Happiness, you know, is, uh, 
sometimes I do like you know when when you go through social media and it's the same people you know you have your news feed and and uh, sometimes I read some statuses and I'm thinking like how are you never happy <laughs> like there's nothing yeah there's nothing that makes you happy and uh I don't have it all figured out but I just somewhere along the way like once I hit 30 I realized nothing is really a big deal um aside, yeah. aside from like maybe cancer and unemployment uh aside yeah. from, aside from those two things like nothing nothing matters just like wake up yeah. and have a have the only time i get mad is if i get mad you know what i'm saying yeah. like where i'm like shit yeah. i'm like why did this get me so mad i know there was i mean up until about 8 months ago before all this shit going on right now man like I, I would always, it was always pretty clear that I don't take anything seriously, but as I'm sure you've seen, I, I have been very serious on Facebook lately about like fucking cops and yeah, yeah, I see co- like COVID and all that shit, like with all the political side of it, which I hate doing. And I like, I always end up the next day going back and like hiding things just because like one, the conversations that happen in comments just ruin my day and they kill my productivity so like i just kill them because nobody's convincing anybody of anything so i just shut it down and then also like i'm still trying to promote my book and i don't want people to look me up on facebook and think i'm this like hardcore political person and then not have me like on a podcast or something no for sure and and it's it's, especially the book is so far from that you know it's such a oh totally yeah such such an internal and music journey um but so I, I want to go to Nashville because I think I remember you saying that um you went to Nashville and started a comedy club with your brother. No, that was in in Corpus Christi. Cor- oh, Cor- okay, yeah. Um, I, you, you, yeah, you have a very uh, almost like forest. No, I know. I, you know, I well, yeah. I mean, I, I like that comparison. Yeah, I yeah. wish it was as uh, prestigious. As <laughs> <that>. <laughs> um, but uh, um. Yeah. So like I, I was in Nashville for a bit and then like I went, I moved back to Corpus and, um, then I did the army. And then when I got back from the army, my brother and I started a comedy club because he and I started this magazine in college in 2002 called the vent, which was just a zine at the time. It was like literally printed out on a Xerox machine, folded over, with our hands and stapled and handed out to people around our college. And it was called vent because our college newspaper was owned and run by the college. So people couldn't really be, we couldn't really vent in it. And so we would let people bitch about the college. But then it was, we would also write satirical news like the onion or the hard times, but oh, wow. Interesting. for our college, what year was that? Well, I mean, this is 2002. Like the onion was around, in a print form, um, and but hard times wasn't around. Um, but uh, so we were we were doing that there, and and I would also write like music reviews and stuff because this is my tiny hometown that's never heard of bands like Hot Rod Circuit or Saves the Day, and we could go to Austin and interview those bands and then bring them back to our little town. So that's how I got started writing. And now that magazine, like my brother's been running it for in the way that it is now. It's like the village voice of Corpus Christi now. Oh, so he's like, still doing it? Yeah, yeah. It's all he's done for the last like 15 years. Oh, that's, um, that's so cool. Yeah. And so it's like the magazine people pick up in Corpus to find out what's going on. 
but it's not a weekly because there's not enough going on in Corpus for there to be a weekly. That's cool. Um, that's cool but, that he, uh, he's still doing like the paper and, and he gets to, yeah, yeah it's, it's such a, you know, certain people need creative outlets. I'm one of those people, you know, like I'll do the podcast, I'll do the music, like anything is, yeah. is, as far as to just, you know, um, so with you was like, um, uh, was writing the constant in your life? Was that always the constant? Yeah. You know, like I, I have started saying that, like, I, I, I think I'm a storyteller writing so like my first experiences with it really I mean I used to write when I was in elementary school like I I think I've always I've always had that I remember writing stories when I was in elementary school and like really wanting to be a writer um and also like I remember very early in like kindergarten or first grade I don't know what made me think this but I wanted to be a comedian like I I don't know who I was watching in first grade to like tell my teacher I wanted to be a comedian, <laughs> but I just think that's always been in my head that like I wanted to affect the way people felt by telling stories. So, and, so then tell me about, yeah, tell me, I forgot because I cut you off about the, uh, the comedy club. Oh yeah. So, um, but yeah, so like, I mean, to go back to your question real quick, like I started playing in bands when I was in 14, but that was cause I like wanted to write, what I was feeling, you know, and I didn't know how else to do it. I was so into music that the way I wanted to do it was by writing songs. And so I did that for seven years. And then when I didn't have bands anymore, I started writing in the zine with my brother. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's just always been a part of my life of like wanting to get out what's inside of me and wanting it to affect how people feel. Um, it's so, uh, yeah, the comedy club, when I got back home from the army in 2009, I, or no, it was actually when I, when I came home from Nashville in 2007, I, I started doing stand up because I had always like been funny. I was always a class clown. And then like me and my brother were writing that zine and writing funny shit in there. When I lived out in LA, I would like, I wrote that sitcom with my buddy. I would write sketches for his sketch comedy troupe. I just never had the balls to perform because I was too intimidated in LA. I was too intimidated in Nashville. But then when I got to Corpus Christi, I was like, no, I can, I can do this in Corpus Christi. Like I'm not intimidated <laughs> by any comedians here. And there were some good ones there, but it just, it was just enough in my head to be like, oh, I have enough confidence to do it here. And the first time I did it, man, I did an open mic night and um, I didn't get the light to get off the stage for like, I want to say like 14 minutes. And you're supposed to do like three to five minutes. And I was just like, I had my material and I went up there and they didn't cut me off to like 14 minutes. Um, and that was like super cool for me because like for me, it's the same thing as writing this book. It's like, I'm not going to put something out there unless I know, unless I'm confident in it. And so like, I never, I never really like told jokes on stage unless I knew they were ready. Um, at least to be presented in a way that like, they're almost there, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I did, I did pretty good at stand up when I did it. I did it for like four years. Wow. Um, you did it for a while. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yes. Yeah. What a life. I mean, what an interesting life for sure. Like everything that, that, that um, 
you were not afraid to try. I mean, everything from a zine to the service to comedian to a ska band uh, to religion. And uh, yeah, what- I mean, I wouldn't give me the credit that I wasn't afraid to do it. I was just kind of like not thinking, <laughs> you know, hey, I like that. That works, too. <laughs> like even the stand up thing, man, I was never comfortable doing it. But in Corpus Christi, where you're like not writing TV shows and not like there aren't a lot of opportunities there to be creative. That was my one way to keep writing and keep staying fresh and to like keep my comedy chops up. I had to get out on stage and do it, you know? Yeah, man, I did it for for a while and it was fun. But most of the time I was I was almost always drunk or high while I was doing it. <laughs> Never comfortable doing it. I'm a sober guy. Um, for how long? 22 oh, years. Yeah? yeah, man. Wow. Congrats. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's whatever now, you know, <laughs> but, uh, did, uh, did, did you do that? Cause you had to, or you just decided to, and that was it. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. No, no. I, <laughs> I, it wasn't decide. I didn't decide. It was decided. for Yeah. Me. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it took a while. Uh, to no, get, it took a while to get there for sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I like, um, like my dad's been sober, like as long as I've been alive. Um, and I saw, I've never known him, uh, drunk. Um, but I think he just got in a lot of trouble in the Navy when he was in the Navy and they kind of forced him to, to do it. Um, but, uh, which whatever, that's fine. I mean, he's, he's, he's a healthy guy, but then I also like went out on tour with, uh, a couple, uh, back in 2015 for my charity zero platoon. I went out on tour with Rocky Botolato and Dave Oz and, um, and Chris Farron. And I was the only one who drank on that tour because Rocky was sober because he had issues with drinking. And then Dave Haas had decided on that tour to start being sober. Um, and he was going to like write while he was out on the road. And he's been sober for five years as of a, like last month or something. Um, so like, that's why I asked because there's some people who just decide I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And then there's some people who like, have to do it i just got out i got it out of my system quick from like 13 to 20 like you know yeah i'm I'm an ex-junkie um oh yeah so oh yeah you mentioned the chelsea hotel so yeah so what let's get to to the city man so what brings you like what brought you all the way to new york and uh you know then we could talk about this book yeah so i always knew that i had to live in la or new york Um, at least I always knew like through, through my twenties, my late teens, like, I mean, I played in my band, I played in bands through my teens. So like, there was nothing in my head saying I had to leave Texas because I had my bands, we were doing well from there. Um, so nothing was telling me I had to leave Texas then. Um, but then in my twenties, when like, I didn't have my bands, I knew I needed to get away because, I knew I wasn't going to find what I needed specifically for me um, to feel fulfilled. And so when I got out of the army and went back to finish college for like media studies and like TV and film stuff, I applied for an internship at Comedy Central and I got that internship, which I actually got an internship at Warner Music in LA first to work in music uh, licensing, which is like another dream job of mine. Cause I love like the idea of putting music and TV shows and film. Absolutely. Um, that's like a dream job of mine. 
And I got that internship first, but then I was offered an internship on the Daily Show and Colbert Report digital team um, at Comedy Central in New York. So I like had to choose between LA and New York, music and comedy. And I just, wow. I had done. That's, that's some deep shit, right? That's like your life basically then. Basically. Dude, it was. And I had like already accepted the Warner Music internship. So, but like, I knew how hard it was to get into TV comedy, you know? And I, and maybe it's hard to get into the music industry, but I didn't know that. Like, it just seemed like another record label job. There's a ton of those, but like Saturday night live, like even now in my, late thirties, I know it's impossible to get, Yeah, you know? And so like writing gigs on the daily show or the Colbert report at the time, like that shit is hard to get only like 10 people get those things at a time. Whereas like record label jobs, there's hundreds of at least. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so like, it just made more sense for me to go for the Colbert report and daily show thing. And so I had to like call Warner Brothers or Warner Music and tell them I changed my mind. And so I came up in 2011 to New York to do this um, internship at Comedy Central. And that's when I started writing the book because there was this girl here that I had known for a long time and, you know, thought things were finally going to work out with us. But uh, that's what brought me here. And then after that, I was here for five months doing that internship. And then um, I moved back to Texas because I had one last semester of college um, and before I graduated, like a few weeks before I graduated, Comedy Central hired me for a job on in their digital department. And so as soon as I graduated college, I had a job and I moved up to New York for that. If I hadn't had a job, I probably would have moved to L.A. and just taken my chances out there because I had already lived there. Um, I really like it out there. Is, is, the, um, is, is the Matrix easier to break in New York or L.A.? I think it's easier in LA because that's what I heard. I lived there. I lived there for two years. And the way that I explain it to people is that like, cause it also goes to like the whole, um, the whole like idea that people in New York are assholes is, which I don't believe there are more assholes here than anywhere else. I think there's <laughs> just the same amount. Sure. Um, it's like, I, I say in my book that like, I think New York is, has the same like asshole per capita average there's just more people here so there's more assholes absolutely um but it's i think it's it's even everywhere um and in la though that the entertainment industry is so big out there that if you're like at a bar it's it's a pretty safe bet that that person over there is interested in entertainment like you are Whereas in New York, there's so many different industries that like you could be sitting like you're on the subway and you don't know who does what, you know? So like there's no like safe bet with people here. Whereas in LA, it's a pretty safe bet that people are interested in entertainment, you know? Gotcha. Um, and so it was easy for me to make friends out there. I still have some very tight friends from out there that, you know, I can see I I haven't I hadn't seen in like 10 years and then we'll meet up and we're just the same as ever. So like yeah, it was it was really easy for me out there and um it was a, it's a nice little community. I, I feel like it's easy to to like make good friends out there. So if I didn't have a job here in New York, I probably would have just gone to LA and and figured it out. But uh I had a job here and I came here and I hated it here for a good three or four years and almost went back to Texas and 
then um a big part of it is that I met my wife and uh, also a big part of it is that I moved to Astoria in Queens and that just made everything better. Shout out to Steinway. Um, oh yeah, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was like, I was living in Bushwick before Bushwick kind of like blew up okay. and uh, it's just like, I, I would have to go to four different bodegas to get groceries and it just like did not, feel good living there but then i moved to astoria and there's like grocery stores and good restaurants and yeah, absolutely um so yeah man i definitely love new york now and it's only been in the last two years that i like am totally fine staying here for the rest of my life but uh did, did up you... until the last up until then i was like i'm i'm ready to go to la whenever you whenever you are <laughs> so um why this book why now so yeah, like I was saying, I, I, I started it in 2011, like the book takes place, um, over a weekend in a hotel in the Times Square Renaissance hotel, um, which I won, a, I won this like photography contest that was for concert photography. And I took this picture of a band of, you know, the band set your goals. Uh, yes. I, I took a picture of them at Warped Tour. That's very cool picture and it won this contest that live nation put on with nikon cameras my prize was two tickets to any live nation concert um a hotel stay round trip airfare and car service on the night of the concert and so like it was the year that watch the throne came out for from kanye and jay-z yep, yep. and th they were doing that tour so it's probably like the next year actually um they were doing that tour and I asked for tickets to that and they were like anything except watch your throne, watch the throne. Ah, <laughs> so, why? Um, I, I, I don't know. I guess it was just in such high demand yeah, that yeah, they couldn't gotcha. spare two yeah. tickets. <laughs> um, but, uh, but no, but it, it was, it's great that that happened because Portishead was playing in New York city and I love Portishead. I never even seen them tour the U S before. Uh, I don't think they've been to the U S since then. No, they, put, um, they, they are probably around the time they put out third. When was that? Um, so it had to like I'm gonna guess like uh, 2011 sounds right to me. Why not? That's that's when I went to see them. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I was here for my internship. It, it yeah. had to be for sure. Which I didn't like that record. Um, but when I tell you "Dummy" and uh, the self-titled, yeah, I mean, life yeah. changers, completely. Oh, totally. Like those records. <laughs> Like, I, Dummy is one of those records that you put on in the background, and and oh, most man. most people don't know Portishead, but yeah, when you put it in a room full of people, oh yeah, everyone knows. Everyone's it. like, but most people are like, oh, what is this? You know, and I'm yeah. like, oh, that's Portishead. Like, I don't know. Yeah, man. You know? Yeah, and and that was the thing is I I like I I looked up other concerts in New York, and I was like, oh shit, Portishead. Like, I have to go to that. And I'm glad I did because I haven't seen them come to the U S since then. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I, that was like my, but since I was already in New York, I just, I just asked if I could like stay at the hotel anyway. And, and they, they gave me everything. Like I got to use the plane tickets later, but so I had to stay in a hotel. I went there for the weekend. I had the goal to write. I didn't know what I was going to write. I mean, it's just like it says in the book. Like I, I packed my Adderall. I packed my Xanax. I packed my Ambien. I packed a bottle of Johnny Walker. And <laughs> I, I, packed, high. I packed a fucking microwavable dinner because I had no money because I was on an unpaid internship. 
that's it, man. And like my goal was just to like pop Adderall and not sleep at all and just write. But I didn't know what I was going to write, you know, like, yeah. And then this book came out. So like probably more than half of it was written in that weekend. And so for the people who like haven't read it, it kind of bounces back and forth every other chapter from like present day in New York in that hotel, me obsessing over this girl that I like had convinced myself I was in love with at the time. But then it goes to like flashbacks of all these other like New York romance stories that where I felt the exact same way. Like I thought this girl was the one and then I thought this girl was the one. And you would think that would make me feel like, okay, so maybe this girl isn't the one this happens all the time, but it didn't, you know, like, I struggle with major depressive disorder and anxiety disorder, which is a big part of the book as well, because that's what fucks fucked my brain up to think that way, you know? And that's what this book's about. It's just like having a fucked up brain that just makes everything more fucked up than it really is. And how dangerous that is, because like I almost die like three times in the book from my own stupid decisions how do you and feel, so yeah that's how do you feel now that the book is out dude it's such a relief and i didn't expect that getting it out there because i mean like i said i started it in 2011 and then i put it away for a good year because i was too scared to go back to that mindset then i like went back and i finished it but then i still hid it away because i didn't want people i work with to know that i dealt with that stuff when I met my wife, I didn't want her to know like how serious it was why, and like though? some of the. Why, why do you think that is though? Because it's such a it's such a thing that so many people go through, and uh, I I don't think anyone would really look down on on that. You know, like why why do you think you were trying to hide that? It's definitely like something that's more acceptable now to talk about, but five years ago, I don't think it really was. You know, but also like that's just another thing that the that the sickness. You know, it's the same way people talk about addiction. You know, it's the sickness telling you that, you know, it could not be real at all. It's just the, the sickness tricking you. And that's exactly what it was, you know, like for a long time, I still, when I was worried about people knowing that I dealt with depression and anxiety the way that I had, it's because I still was dealing with it that way. And now I'm much healthier mentally because I actively work to make myself that way. And so I'm not as afraid of it anymore because I know I'm not that person in the book anymore. But there was a long time where I still was that person in the book. And that's why I didn't want people to know because I was, because then it's not like they were, no, they were finding out that I used to be that. I was exposing that I still was that, you know? The only reason this book is out is because I finally read it one day a few years ago and didn't see that person in the book as me anymore. And that made me more comfortable to like put it out to help people yeah. who might see themselves reflected in the book because yeah. I no longer do. Yeah, that's, um, that's great. That's yeah. a great feeling to look back. Uh, that's why it's easier, you know, like even what I said before, it's like, you know, 22 years. And when, when someone says congrats, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I guess I'm like, it just it just doesn't even feel like a part of me, you know, so it's. Uh, yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um, but I love I, I really love the like I told you, I'm, I'm not a reader. I I. I I I could yeah. I could barely read a Facebook status, um, uh, but, yeah. but, but I skim through this, and, and what I really like is just the idea of anything that's so soaked in music and uh, emotion like this. Uh, like you watch like a movie like Five Hundred Days of Summer, you know, it, yeah, it, it, like everything about it is so 
like in sync with music and the way he feels. Um, yeah. And I love a lot of the songs on here, man. Like I love that you started out with Jimmy world, especially 23. You have the smoke and popes in here, which I feel like never get enough love. Oh man. They're so underrated. So good. Right. Yeah. Like, and they just put out that new record like last year, the year yep. before. And it's so it's good. So it's good. just as good as any other smoke and popes record. Like, they didn't. They didn't feel like they had to mature their sound or anything, and I fucking love that, man. Yeah, it's such a weird. Like I try to explain. Yeah, it's like if like Frank Sinatra sang for like a punk band. It's just like it's, yeah, it, it's Ugh. it's so crooner. And I hate Frank Sinatra, by the way. But but it's, oh, yeah, it's so crooner stuff. But it's just like the songwriting is so fucking yeah. fantastic. And I no, it's funny, man, because like that's the thing. Like that's why I was like really stoked to talk to you because it's the same thing. Like you know, with my wife, like growing up on Long Island, like you guys like had a little bit more, I mean, a lot more exposure to stuff than I did, but like, it's like everything I learned about music, almost everything came from TV shows and like, you know, old 97s had that song question on the show, Ed. And like, I loved that song. And so that made me look up the old 97s. I probably wouldn't have known them ever otherwise you know i mean i just learned about so many bands from tv like that's kind of like i'll watch shows like i've watched like I, I tried to watch that show like pretty little liars because i was out of tv shows to watch and i know that those teeny fucking bopper tv shows always have great soundtracks and i learn about so many new bands from them so i like gave it a chance in hopes that it would just teach me about new music that's how scrubs was scubs was like yeah. oh yeah we talked about scrubs i think right didn't we like i, I, uh, I know, maybe i, I mentioned know. it on facebook and and because we were talking I, we definitely talked about it on facebook but like scrubs so. was another one of those fucking shows that you're like yo this song's really good and it, like the soundtrack yeah. like selection was so good do you remember when uh was it colin hay yeah, was course. like in an episode yeah. that's like that is so great, man. That's such a great episode. And I never, I could never figure out who Dan Andriano from Alkaline Trio sounded like. And then one, oh, totally. One day I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I'm like, I no, know, I, I know yeah, this voice. I put, I put that together for sure. I think it's just because like I might have like seen that Scrubs, like I might have seen that Scrubs episode like on like as a rerun, kind of when Dan was like putting out his solo stuff. Like when he first started doing it. So I think I like was able to put it together then. But yeah, no, I hear it every time. For sure. Um, yeah. So I'm going to put links up for, uh, to the book and all that other stuff and, uh, you know, try to get it out there more. And uh, cool, man. I know that we were going to talk about our favorite uh, New York centric movies as well, right? We both love movies. You live in New York and you had the idea to discuss. Because, you know, we, we love pop culture here. We love movies, music, TV shows, all that other shit. So, um, yeah. I, tell me what you wanted to talk about as far as, like, New York. Yeah. Like, what was the, the idea, basically? Well, so the idea was that, like, so I come from South Texas, small town. And I feel like anybody who grows up, at least in, you know, the Midwest, but I feel like probably anywhere outside of New York romanticizes this city as, like, you know, every time I call, every time in the book that I call it the greatest city in the world, it's in quotes because that's what everybody calls it everywhere. And so we all just have this idea of New York and those of us who are creative or ambitious in the in the creative world, you know, have it as this 
like Mecca that we have to get to. And so I thought it'd be interesting to talk about that, but also um, with you being a native New Yorker and I mean, you're from Long Island, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up uh, here. I was born in Queens, probably moved out, okay. here, moved out here 88, you know, but uh, yeah, rough, okay. roughly Queens, Long Island. I mean, well, for, like, I'd love to hear like what you, someone from here thinks about that. Um, but also like how you guys see it, you know, and like what movies you think of, because there's, I mean, and you saw on Facebook, I kind of put it out there and asked people like what their favorite New York movies are. And I, and everybody listed everything. And I, I, I made some criteria of like stuff that inspires you to go to New York, but also like stuff that's realistic, but, but nothing that'll change your mind from wanting to go to New York. And people were like throwing taxi driver up there. Like, <laughs> okay. Like, no, like I get it. Taxi Driver is a New York movie. I get it. And that's like one everyone needs to see. But I, I kind of wanted to keep it related to the book. Whereas like I in the book talk about all the pop culture stuff that made me romanticize New York and made me think I had to come here. And so like Taxi Driver wouldn't make necessarily make somebody want to go to New York. But uh, and there's a lot of movies like that. I, I that was your criteria I on Facebook, uh, but I mean I did yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I did my own thing because oh, I told you I was I oh, was yeah. I was more into soul crushing. Um, and listen, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, I I don't live in Manhattan or Brooklyn or those places, but every time, like I always, I'm one of those guys that never fell out of love with that area. I love the distance I have from Long Island, a lot of legroom, but you know we're like 40, 50 minutes away, no big deal. And yeah. uh, I l- like anytime I go, we, we went to so for my birthday in February before right before the pandemic, <laughs> my girlfriend and I like we, you know, got a hotel room in the Lower East Side and I'm like, oh, fuck it. Let's go to Sing Sing. Uh, we'll do like a birthday get together nice. here. So that's what we did. They there did some karaoke and, you know, hung out in the city for like three days uh, somewhere on Ludlow. And. It just there's yeah. the comparison. I'll tell you the comparison because I just came from upstate. So we we also went away just because we're like, all right, what are we gonna do? We can't leave. We can't do anything. So we went upstate to like some secluded shit that she likes to do. And I'm thinking yeah. like in my head, I'm like, who likes this? Like I can't even. <laughs> like I I get it. And like listen, I'm 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 a, I'm a good sport. That's what she wants to do, and she likes shit like that and whatever she wanted to do i'm like yeah let's do it whatever no big deal but as far as i'm concerned drop me off at st mark's all day long yeah you know yeah i'm a cha- i'm a chaos guy see even for me like coming like because i grew up in such a small town i can't even imagine living in the suburbs or like living out like because it's come up you know moving out to long island because you can buy a house out there that's you know fairly affordable but like, I just can't imagine moving out to the suburbs and maybe like in a few years, if we have kids and stuff like that, maybe, but like, I just have to be around, I have to be around the city. But that being said, I fucking hate going down the Lower East Side on a weekend, man. Um, Cause it's all like, it's all like college kids, like dressed way too nice to be out on the Lower East Side. Um, yeah, I mean, like, like that, that part. That part is fine. Like, I'm, I, I don't want, like, you know, like, give me what I'm saying is in comparison. Like, I like the access to certain things. Like, I like, uh, sure, 
you know, I like being able to, to go to Brooklyn or wherever. Cause I like, yeah. I, where we were, we needed to drive like an hour to, just to get fucking gas. And I'm like, where? yeah, in my head, I'm thinking like, where the fuck are we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, um, but yeah, we're I, about to go out to Vermont for uh, to Burlington, Vermont for okay. our, our fifth anniversary is in September. So we're doing like four days out there, and uh, we're staying in an Airbnb that Cindy Lopper apparently lived in. Oh, that's that sounds fancy AF. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it was a time when she wasn't fancy, but uh, <laughs> ah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, like, I didn't want that criteria to be for you. I was putting a broad criteria out there just to see what came back at me that I could, like, in case I wasn't thinking of anything. But honestly, like, all the suggestions people made to me, either I had already thought of, or like, I would never include on my list. Like, like the Warriors, like so many people said the Warriors and I like, that's not like my, that doesn't fit my criteria of like, you know, something that would inspire somebody to come to New York, you know, yeah, um, for, not, for me, not like, at all. <laughs> I, I was kind of expecting our, our picks to contrast like yours versus mine. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's good. But, uh, so yeah, how do you want to do this? You want to yeah. go one and yeah, one? Let's do one and one. Let's do one and one. So give, right. give me, give me your first one. So this is a this is a pretty easy one, and I think fits pretty well. It was it's big with Tom Hanks. Okay. Um, I think that one uh, kind of captures that whole like um, imagination of New York, like what like makes you know it's a magical movie, and it and it gives you that feeling about about New York. Of course, he also gets like a, an adult woman has sex with him at a point in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then. And then, like, in the end, sees that he's, like, a 13-year-old boy. That is pretty oh. funny when he's walking away, right? And the suit gets yeah. bigger. <laughs> oh, man. So, like, two Halloweens ago, um, my wife and I were I – was, I was Josh Baskin. I bought an oversized suit. Oh, that's great. And, and so, like, I had the, the arms hanging loose and the pants hanging loose. And then I made a uh, – I made I cut, cut up a cardboard box, and she was the, like, wish – the Zoltar yeah, Zoltan yeah. thing. Yeah, that's what we were for Halloween oh, a couple years ago. That's so good. <laughs> that's a good one. Okay, so I, I, I picked a movie. Um, I, I went a little bit left field on this one, but I, I feel like a lot of people should have seen this movie. Um, it has Ben Kingsley. Uh, this one's called The Wackness. Um, the, oh, yeah, yeah. Where uh, Jake and jo- Josh, Drake and Josh kid is a weed dealer. Yes, exactly. Did you yeah. Did you actually see it? I did see it back in the day, like, cause it was like, it, it was, it was in the time when like all the indie films were actually getting like spread out everywhere. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was a, yeah, I saw that. So, um, the summer of 94 and New York city to me was a big deal and growing up, you know, predominantly listening to nothing but like indie rock and hip hop. Um, the soundtrack made sense to me. So like all these songs, nice you know, from like the Raekwon record or um, uh, maybe Nas was on the soundtrack. I don't remember who who exactly was on the soundtrack, but this movie was just really cool. You know, Josh, um, his name in the movie is uh, Luke, actually. Luke Shapiro, kind of like a summer in his life. And and Ben Kingsley is is his psychiatrist and he sells his psychiatrist weed. um, And it's just kind of him maneuvering 
like leaving and his fucking weird family and it's kind of i guess it's like a coming in of of age type movie with a killer soundtrack based uh in new york city 94 and uh, i couldn't recommend it more and it's it's realistic it's super realistic and and that's why yeah yeah i'm gonna have to go back and check that one out again man yeah for sure what's your next i'm gonna go with uh boiler room so i when i was 18 and my band moved to Austin and we started like touring out of Austin. I worked at a telemarketing um, spot like for MCI Worldcom and it was run exactly like Boiler Room was like so many perks. Like we made so much money for just like hitting our quotas and shit. I was 18 years old and I was like shopping for a BMW. Like it was ridiculous. Like me and my buddy, like they would give us these debit cards. Like if you hit your quota, you got like 20 bucks on your debit card. But if you went over it, you could get up to like 50 bucks. And me and my my buddy who played trumpet in my ska band, we worked there together. And every day we would just go to like Outback Steakhouse and like eat dinner there because we just made 50 bucks on our debit card. Like, of course, we're fucking kids. We're not saving any money or investing it. We're just like spending it. Yeah, that's, um, that's what you're supposed to do back then. Yeah, exactly. But like, you can tell that I don't think I'd seen Boiler Room yet then. I'm pretty sure it was probably out already. Or maybe everybody was just like in the movie Boiler Room. They they uh, watch Wall Street and they're all like uh, in their real life mimicking Wall Street. Yeah, um, Gordon, that's that's Gordon exactly Gekko. how it was. Greed is yeah. good. When Boiler Room was out. Also, I love Giovanni Ribisi. He's great. That was a cool movie for me. Um, not necessarily like ins- inspiring to like come to New York, but it just had that New York energy to it. You know, it just made everything seem more real and like higher stakes. And as I was putting this list together, I thought about it that like my like New York inspiration didn't come when I was a teenager or a kid. It was actually in my twenties really, or like probably late teens into twenties when I was really trying to think about what I wanted to do with my life. And so that's why this movie like hit right, right at that like perfect time of like, thinking bigger and just wanting that kind of energy of like, yeah. I don't know, uh, doing New, something that New York fast paced and, and ambition, no matter how, yeah. no matter how distorted <laughs> like that view was. So, There's a really great, really great line in that movie today where like all the douchey bro boiler room guys are at a bar and they're being douches. And then there's this table of gay guys. And one of the douchey bro guys goes, Somebody just needs to get an island and take all of you and and put you on that island. And one of the gay guy, gay guys goes, "Guess what, honey? You're on it." Because oh, they're like in Manhattan. Good. Yeah, <laughs> that's so good. All right, so I I picked one, and sometimes um, I watch a movie and it's so Hollywood um, that I just it's off putting because it's like can't explain it it's like too much movie magic and it's nonsense this is one of those movies where it actually worked unapologetically i i feel like i'm one of the only people uh for my friends list to basically like collateral beauty you ever he- hear or see that? i don't oh, I, I don't i don't think i've heard of that one will smith ed norton kate winslet um so will smith is like this big ceo um, and him and his wife have a tragedy. Um, and then from there, he kind of like goes into this really humongous deep depression. Um, 
and he is wow how have i not heard of a will smith movie that's crazy this is uh yeah, this is great. This is like one of those like really fantastic dramas. Helen Mirren's in it. Um, so wow. so anyway, he he starts coping with with his depression, um, and basically the company and the people around him are trying to run it, and he's like this aloof dude who just can't get over this tragedy that happens, um, and uh, he starts writing letters to love, time, and death. You know what? This is starting to sound familiar. Yeah, yeah, it's a very like it's kind of like an abstract movie, right? Is yeah. there like some abstract elements to it? Absolutely. So he starts re- yeah, receiving yeah, yeah. he starts receiving answers from from these letters that he's mailing and he he can't really explain it. Um, yeah, I remember seeing the trailer for that in okay. like a theater but never really following up on it. Listen, this movie, you know, it, it's it's one of the, like it's it's movie magic and and um some of my friends were like, "Oh, it's just too corny," but it, to me, it, it really worked. It's like, a, yeah. it's it's like a, the shape of of water. Remember that movie? Yeah, yeah, but I didn't watch it. I have it saved on like one of my lists on HBO or whatever, and I keep meaning to watch it, but I haven't seen it yet. It's it's one of those times that that, that you go to a movie to watch a movie. Yeah, you know, like where where I mentioned the whackness, that's a little bit more realistic, a little bit more relatable. This is like, this is movie magic. And, yeah, and and the story is so well written. There's some great twists and turns. Um, collateral beauty for me and my yeah. New, my New York City. All right, man. All right. Um, no, I like this. I'm 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 learning some stuff. I didn't want to. It was too easy to do like the cliches of like you've got mail and when Harry met Sally, which <laughs> I love. Um, yeah. If you would if you would have done it, then that's fine. But like, I wasn't going that route. No, no, I know. But but for me on my end, as far as like related to the book of like believing in the New York romance thing. That's, yeah, absolutely. Like, those are those are there. Like I even mentioned when Harry met Sally in my in my book. But uh, um, so I, I those are my like honorable mentions because they're too cliche. So to, to give me a little more cred, but also kind of cliche um, kids. Oh, come on. You know, of course. Great. I, yeah. And that's one that like for me as a skater kid when that came out in south texas like seeing what like a a, like a skater community looked like in a real city and kind of seeing that me and my friends were like you know there to the extent we could be in a in our little town and it, and it kind of also taught us how to be like a tighter group of friends you know um so that's definitely something that put an idea early in my head about what maybe not new york but like a real city no but still like that was a, like that's a great perspective basically for you like you said for the small town you're watching this this projection of of like oh new york city i skate they skate um, super easy to romanticize, uh, for sure. Yeah. You know, and, and you guys were romanticizing the right thing. We were romanticizing, uh, you know, uh, Sid and Nancy. <laughs> oh, dude, we were we were all just waiting for the opportunity to beat somebody over the head with our skateboards. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't come because there were no like real. Sh- There's no like real shit in our little town. But uh, no, we all we all wanted to be those kids. Yeah, like one day, one day somebody's gonna come and I'm gonna hit them over there. Oh uh, man, 
<laughs> I can't tell you how many times me and my friends said, it's like butterscotch, yo. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> how could you not? And it, and it spawned, it spawned the, the, the career of, uh, you know, Rosario Dawson, Chloe, yeah. Savigny, Chloe Savigny. Yeah. Harmony Kareem was a real fucking weirdo, but he did some yeah. interesting stuff. Yeah. <laughs> did gummo yeah. after I'm, I'm gonna take it to an, a dark place i'm gonna take it, right. i'm gonna take it to coney island i'm gonna take it to one of my biggest cinematic crushes uh jennifer conley so this is requiem oh, yeah. requiem for a dream yeah somebody somebody mentioned that one too yeah to me based based out of brooklyn coney island area and uh you know for someone with drug issues like i had um, it was one of those movies that was just so unbelievably dark. Um, the only unrealistic part of the movie was that they couldn't find drugs. So I thought that was weird. <laughs> but um, Darren Aronofsky, you know, went from making yeah. pie to making this. And uh, this is not a happy movie. This is uh, a very depressing and dark movie. But man, is it? everyone should watch this at least once if you're a cinephile. I need to go back to it for sure. Cause I saw it once in like 2002 um, at somebody's house. And like, I didn't start, I didn't drink until I was 21. And so that would have been 2003. Um, I turned 21. What a, what so a like law abiding citizen you are. Yeah. You know what? I was a good, I was a good Christian boy. I guess so. Um, <laughs> in, in, at least in that way. Um, but, uh, but no, so like you said, you got it all out of your system. I was making up for lost time in my twenties, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like everybody I went to high school with was partying and stuff. Like I, yeah, I just didn't do any of it. And so like when movies like that happened, they were just like, like revolved around drugs. It just didn't, it, it wasn't a thing where I was like, Ooh, no, I'm not going to watch a movie about drugs. It just, I couldn't relate to it, you know? So it just, it just, I, for some reason didn't gravitate to those movies no that's funny you mentioned that because when i got sober um one of the movies that came out was um half baked yeah (laughs) and in my head i was just like eh, i'm like i don't want to watch a weed movie like i saw cheech and chong and one day one day i watched half baked and i'm like this is the funniest movie that has ever been made (laughs) like i couldn't dude i couldn't get over how good it was I just saved half baked on one of my lists because my wife loves it and says the same thing about it. But that's another one that I was like, I never really cared about weed. I didn't care about drugs. And like, it just seems stupid to me, but I'm sure I'll appreciate it now. It is so fucking funny. It is. It's just so funny. Um, What do you got now to sacrifice any cred and go with just some real pussy movies? (laughs) Um, Definitely. Maybe. Have you seen that? I don't know. Uh, It's Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. And the thing is, is he's like an Elizabeth, uh, what's her name? Banks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Elizabeth Banks is in it. The host Um, of Press Your Luck. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, She's in it. Um, Isla Fisher's in it. Um, Rachel Weiss is in it. Oh, speaking Um, of Darren Aronofsky, that's his ex-wife. Oh really? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, yeah. She, he put her in the fountain, and I think oh. a few other things. Yeah. Yeah. So this movie, uh, the little girl from Little Miss Sunshine, is Ryan Reynolds' daughter. Okay, Abigail. And Wilson. yeah, and he's telling her like, it's basically how I met your mother. Um, but he's divorced from her mother, 
And so he's telling the story of him coming to New York from like Ohio or whatever. And when he like worked on the Clinton campaign in New York, but it goes through basically his life in New York over decades. And he tells, he's telling his daughter about these women that he like fell in love with. Um, and uh, she has to guess which one is her mom. Um, and so it's, it's a total romantic comedy, but also with like a very cynical side of like being that guy who comes to New York from the Midwest and like just wasn't ready for it, but then like gets into it, but then also has to like deal with the, like the dog eat dog part of it, like becoming, you know, what he was always told to be afraid of in New York. And then it has to do with the, like the different kinds of women that he meets and, and what roles they play in, in his development, I guess it's, it's, it's really good. I, I love it. Like it's, it's a really good movie. Um, yeah, very cool. But yeah. I, I have never, I, I don't remember even hearing about it, but, uh, definitely maybe, um, yeah. I'm going to go with an Abel Ferrara movie. So Abel Ferrara is, this, I, I don't know if you know him, but he's like a, a New York film director. Like his, you know, the backdrop that he uses so well is New York. Uh, this movie's called Bad Lieutenant with Harvey Keitel. Oh, yeah. What a brutal, brutal movie. And it's just, it's it's kind of like um, Training Day before Training Day. Like this just debaucherous, like, animal of a cop. And his day, uh, yeah, and uh, just the shit that he gets into from, you know, smoking crack, shaking down fucking dealers, and making bets, and getting into all all wild shit, man. And it's 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 an ugly, filthy New York City movie, and I love it. You know, I don't think I've seen it, but because it's referenced so much in like pop culture, I'm well aware of it. Um, but yeah, I think I I need to see that for sure. Yo. It's just, it's filth. It's gr- It's just so good. Like, it's just, you know, it just, uh, and I'll never forget the end. Uh, you could never find the song because I think uh, uh, Jimmy Page got rid of it. But um, Schoolie D, who's a rapper, at the end, mm-hmm. ra- rapped over Kashmir. Uh, oh, wow. It was one of the coolest things because Kashmir has this, you know, din in it, din in it, like just yeah. great, great groove to it. Uh, I think Led Zeppelin was like, fuck that, you, you're not using that. And years later, they let um, P. Diddy ruin it on yeah. the Godzilla movie. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that yeah. was all about. Probably because they made m- way more money on it. So um, back to you. All right. Um, well, so the. I'm, I'm, I'm switching my last one up because uh, it was serendipity, which I feel like falls into the cliche um, world there, but it's just relatable to my book, but you can read the book and people can read it and find out why, because I mentioned it in there. Um, but I'm going to go with, I'm going to end with a Bronx tale. Oh yeah. That's such a fucking good movie in so many different ways, man. Like every, and I feel like, I mean, the, the, the themes from like De Niro's side, but also like, I, f- I feel like there's something there for everybody, you know, if you're a young person um, or an adult dealing with like his De Niro's struggle with um, uh, Chaz Palmateri's character, like, yeah, it's just, it's just so good. And it, it may not be like, I mean, I think it is, it still is like inspiring. It's, I think it's still a, a New York romantic movie because everybody in it is so like 
loyal to the people they care about, but also is they're just so like invested in who they are, you know? And they're like, and I think that's a, that's a, at least coming from outside of New York, it's very much a, a thing we see in New Yorkers is that like, you guys are New Yorkers, you know, you're proud of who you are and what you do, no matter who you are or what you do. And I think everybody in that, in that movie, like represents that. And so it's definitely shows you like, I think that's something that also, you know, romanticizes New York for me is that show that it has, it has its such a defined personality, you know, um, the same way Texas does. I mean, I hate everything about Texas politics, but I'm proud to be from there because of the way a lot of people, you know, are proud of, are proud of Texas. I got a Texas tattoo on my arm, you know? Yeah, the real deal then. <laughs> but no, I think that's exactly what it is. I think is that like the characters in that movie are the embodiment of what we are believe New York is, you know, from outside of New York. Just yeah. like a pride and like very, um, very a loyalty. Yeah, like a fantastic mob movie, but also it, it really... Um, I think it had a lot to do with De Niro's upbringing. Um, I believe, you know, I know that he's he's definitely always been married to black women. Um, so growing up, I, I feel like it was kind of his story, if if I remember it correctly, or or maybe like he had like some part of it. Um, I know Chaz Palminteri wrote it. Blah blah blah. Yeah, and uh, De Niro directed it, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. So he might have just sprinkled a little bit of of, of uh, you know his his angle on it. You love them. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, yeah. like, like you, when you watch The Sopranos, you're like, oh, you know, I love fucking Tony or, and Pauly. Uh, and then when you really see them do the ugly shit, you're like, man, you're like, you're kind of like a dick. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's another thing, too, man. I just I just watched The Sopranos like last year. Oh, um, I'm on my second viewing. I had a bad experience with it with a buddy of mine um, where we just drank a bunch of orange juice and gin while watching it. And then I'm glad you um, mentioned gin because I thought you were going to say just a bunch of orange juice. I'm like, wow. (laughs) No, no, no. And I like threw up for the entire (laughs) next day. And I think I just I just associated the Sopranos with that. And then finally, my wife got me to watch it because she'd seen it. And we binged the whole thing in like a couple months. Okay, And and so. What did you think of this, you know, watching it now at your age? Because for me, the second viewing, like, I really picked up the nuance. I really picked up, like, the how much personality each character was written with, you know? Like, they, just even, like, the the, the the mispronunciation of words. Um, yeah. Just the, the stupidity, just the, the subtle things, man. Yeah, no, I definitely, like, felt like the characters were all like in, like there was care taken with every character, which doesn't happen in a lot of shows. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I didn't really like have a, see it back then and have anything yeah. to compare it to. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, I definitely felt like I, I was invested in all of the characters, at least the ones you're supposed to be invested in, you know? Um, and that doesn't happen in, in a lot of shows. The uh, the one weird thing that I picked up on, which I never noticed the first time around, was strange editing style sometimes, right? Like uh, it, it was I don't just, know. I don't was, really remember. Yeah, it was just like quick cutaways and like, you know, like they'll be somewhere and then there'll be like a line in another place. Like 
Yeah, it was just like certain certain things that stuck out to me where I'm like, oh, that's a, I, I don't remember that edit. Yeah. It's, it's such a hard edit. Um, Might need to give it that second watch. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so th- my last movie is a movie that I watched like two years ago. It's up on Hulu currently, and uh, it's fucking brilliant. It's a movie called Hearts Beat Loud. Um, so uh, it's, Oh, that that's the, the music one, right, with Nick Offerman? Yep, that one. So, yeah. So uh, it looks good. I haven't seen it, but it it looked like something that'll make me cry. <laughs> which Man. I love. Yeah, I listen. I you know, yeah, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> hey, if you want to cry, this might make you cry. I don't know. Um so yeah, so him and his daughter, you know, he's a single dad, owns a record store in in, in Red Hook, Brooklyn. Um, and you know, he's trying to have this connection with his daughter before she goes off to college and um I forgot the girl's name. But she she's been in a few movies like um, Dope and uh, this new movie called Sweetheart. But anyway, so they in the beginning of the movie they they write this song together, and he yeah. he likes it so much he uploads it to Spotify and it kind of takes off. Yeah, and I, it's just such a really good movie, and the, and the original songs that they use on it are absolutely fucking phenomenal. Just so good, and and like I cool. said, it's, it's Brooklyn centric. Um, I love Spotify, so they got that represented in there, and and you know, it's it's basically just their relationship before she goes to college, and he's just trying to, you know, just some dude, man. He's just trying to live, trying to have his relationship with his daughter, and he's trying to kick it to some other girl at the same time. And uh, my boy, <laughs> my boy uh, Sam Malone, Ted Danson, is one of the bar owners uh-huh. where he hangs yes. out at. Um, so I can't say enough about it. it. It's up on Hulu, and if you want to watch it, please do. It's no, that so was good. definitely one that I, I wanted to watch when it first came out. Um, and now you reminded me of it. I'm, I'm going to look at it. I'm going to search it out. But, uh, yeah, I think it was one of those ones where it was like, it looked too sentimental for me to get my wife on board with it. And so like, dude, I'm, I'm always the wuss when it comes to movies. I'm always the one who wants to watch like the wussy movies. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I might have to, she's, she's, uh, out of town this weekend for a bachelorette party starting tomorrow. So just wuss movie marathon for me, man. Yeah, man. Break out the, 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 the Kleenex. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I really don't think it's that type of movie. I think it's a, a, yeah. ver, a very feel-good movie. I feel like Collateral Beauty is definitely one of those like that hits yeah. you in the, uh, you know, if, if you're a crier. Well, she hates, she hates Will Smith, too. So, like, there's no Will Smith movie watching in my my house. <laughs> you know, it, it. This is not a Will Smith. You know, like it's it's almost like when someone's like, um, they were. Oh no, she just hates him as a person. Oh, okay. like, <laughs> and like it was before like this latest stuff came out, and I was like, he's a national treasure. He's like an America's sweetheart. Yeah. How can you hate him? I, I, but yeah. uh, yeah, she hates him. Interesting. Wow. I've, I never, I, I've I never had an, understand op- it. never had an opinion on Will Smith or that strong. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, okay, cool. Listen, Mike, thanks for chatting with me. Dude, this is fun, man. Um, the book, once again, rock bottom at the Renaissance, an emo kid's journey. That's you <laughs> through, uh, through, uh, I'll, I'll do it again. An emo kid's journey through falling in and out of love in and with New York city. And, uh, you know, if you like music and uh, good writing, I'm sure 
you will love this. I'll put the links up. I'll put a picture up. Thanks, and, man. Uh, thanks for thanks for hanging with me, man. Yeah, dude. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. All right, cool. So we'll talk. All right. Later. Later, buddy.